This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday the 17th of June 2021. And over the past few days, Norman, we've heard about the virus transmitting effectively through the air. There was a hotel quarantine leak in Sydney and then there's the case of this Kings Park apartment complex in Melbourne where a few people were infected and they sort of can't seem to figure out how but probably in shared spaces, uh, maybe like stairwells and that sort of thing in these in these buildings. And every time these things happen, we hear people say we don't know how it happened, but we do know that the virus can be transmitted via aerosols. So what's the mystery? Beats me um, what the mystery is. Uh, I mean, they're saying, well, the people were on the same plane arriving in Australia. It is conceivable that you caught it on the plane. Although plane-related infections are probably a bit rarer than people have assumed because there are HEP filters and other things going on there and people are wearing masks. But nonetheless, that is possible. But if you look at the Clinical Excellence Commission guidelines on hotel quarantine, the Clinical Excellence Commission sets quality standards in the New South Wales health system. They emphasise open doors. Now, there's no question that open doors can be a problem, such as the theory behind the wallet man and how he caught it through an open door from somebody who's infected, closed door, 18 seconds, open door, it gets in. But that's not the only way it can happen. It can get in under the under the door. It can get through um, light fittings. A negative pressure room can turn into a positive pressure room. So you've got somebody who's infected with the air is being sucked out. The wind changes or something else happens and then the air gets blown out into the system, not necessarily through an open door. And then when you come to the apartment block, depending on the age and so on, apartment blocks were not designed for COVID-19. So you get internal ventilation systems that get ducted into wall spaces and therefore easily transmitted between apartments. Uh, If it's not a very well-constructed building and you can hear what's going on next door, it's likely that's an air leak. And again, it can come through light fittings. And in this apartment block, there are shared stairwells and a foyer, uh, which uh, anecdotally people... Residents say if somebody walked through the foyer with a heavy perfume, you can smell that perfume for a, for some minutes afterwards, which means it's not a well-ventilated space. And if you're breathing in perfume, you're breathing in coronavirus too, potentially. It's so hard to get a tight seal around this virus. Like We know that there's been these, these leaks in hotel quarantine, and then we also heard yesterday that one of the nurses who had tested positive had been vaccinated it really hammers home for me, at least, the, the idea that we need to be doing everything really well. We need to have a really good vaccination coverage. We need to have a really robust quarantine system. We need to have really good public health interventions. That's absolutely right. And and that's what we had on Coronacast last week when we talked to the Burnett Institute, to Margaret Hellard from there, who talked about their modelling, which shows that even when you get to 80 or 90% coverage, you've still got to be really careful, particularly with, with variants being more contagious. And I think it's quite clear this, even the Kappa variant is more contagious. I'm told that this nurse in this private hospital who caught it from a patient, uh, one of the patients there who was moved to that private hospital, you know, was an experienced nurse who knew how to wear PPE. I mean, this this is, these are more contagious viruses. The Kappa is not as contagious as the Delta, but it is getting around. It's sneaky. It's a sneaky, leaky virus. A sneaky, leaky virus. <laughs> Sounds like a country and western song. We heard yesterday that there were five new cases in Melbourne, which I think came as a bit of a shock for some people who felt like they were we were coming out on the other side of this outbreak. What's your prognosis, Doctor? <laughs> Thank you uh, for that, <laughs> Professor Taylor. Um, I think it's all getting tied down. 
So whilst there are more cases, they know where they're coming from. There are no mystery cases. Outbreaks such as in the uh, complex in South Bank are a bit scary, but nonetheless, you hope that you can tie them down. The nurse in the private hospital, hopefully they can tie down that too very quickly. So I, I think that they've got this under control. And I don't, I don't think that after all, all these days now, since the last relaxation last week, that there are any surprises. Yes, you've got this complex, but you know where it came from. People are, are now being isolated and hopefully there isn't much spread beyond this. But it does depend on people getting tested in large numbers. You can still need to call this a smouldering outbreak. You just don't know where, absolutely sure that there's no fire anywhere else. So we're, we're all looking very closely at the vaccines that, have, that are being rolled out. They've been rolled out in tens of millions of people globally. And we've had a lot of focus on AstraZeneca and one of the rare side effects that can be associated with that. But with, there's also some emerging evidence, Norman, that there is a rare type of inflammation in or around the heart that can be seen in some young people who've had the Pfizer vaccine? What it is is myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the muscle of the heart, and pericarditis, which I should quite rightly say, is around the surface of the heart, the pericardium, the, the membrane that surrounds the heart, that's getting inflamed. So it's becoming clear that people at risk of this are teenage boys and young men, more than in older adults and women. It's early days. Now, CoronaCast listeners will know particularly with the changing story with the Astra clotting problem, as this becomes increasingly recognised, more and more doctors report it, and therefore the incidence changes. And so it's going to be a moving story here. But it looks like it's being reported as 16 cases for every million people who get a second dose of Pfizer. So that's the current thinking about the, about the incidence here. It's likely to be similar to the Astra story insofar as it's, a, it's, it's an, a reaction of the immune system since inflammation is caused by the immune system. Different parts of the immune system than cause, than cause the clotting problem, but nonetheless the immune system. And the majority seem to be getting better. Well, at the moment, there is a minority, maybe one in five, who have ongoing symptoms. What are the symptoms? So the, the symptoms by and large, are shortness of breath and chest pain. And there's another symptom that can be part of this combination, which is fever. So chest pain, shortness of breath and fever. So is this just with Pfizer or is it with the other mRNA vaccines as well, um, Moderna? It looks as though it's to both, both Pfizer and Moderna. So it's a function of the mRNA vaccines. And you said it was common in young boys? Teenage boys. So the question is, what about the 12 to 15-year-olds who are, are, have more recently been approved to have this? So I think it's older than that age group at the moment, whether that younger age group, um, because they've only received maybe about 10% of the total doses of the mRNA vaccine so far. But they, they do represent um, half of the myocarditis cases reported. So it seems disproportionate at the moment in this age group, but it's still rare. It sounds like a scary symptom to have, but is it is it life-threatening? Oh, myocarditis can be life-threatening. It can cause um, long-term problems such as heart failure and so on. But it's too early to say how, how significant that is with this problem. It seems that most people do get better from it. So I think it's early days. And remember, this is a phenomenon not of a failure of the clinical trial, not of rushing this vaccine. This is a result of what's called intense post-marketing surveillance. 
We are in an unprecedented situation with these vaccines. Normally what happens with a new drug or a new vaccine, it gets approved at exactly the same point that these vaccines got approved after a phase three clinical trial. The monitoring after a regular drug or vaccines put on the market is really poor. Um, we might never have discovered that Astra caused clots or five years from now, a haematologist might say, oh, I've noticed a clotting problem in a few of my patients. Has anybody else noticed this? And suddenly they wake up to it because nobody's watching or it's very dilute in the population getting the vaccine. But here you've got well over 2 billion doses of these vaccines and people watching closely. So this is a phenomenon of post-marketing surveillance. And it could be that there are, other, there are other drugs and vaccines in the market that cause the same thing, but we haven't noticed because there, there haven't been so many people given the vaccine or the drug and not watched closely enough. So it's a good thing that we found it, but it, it is, it's not particularly unusual because we are desperately ignorant about what happens to with drugs after they get on the market. Desperately ignorant. That's so interesting that the thing that's unprecedented is just how much information we have about it. I think a lot of people's concerns around these vaccines is that they're new and that we don't know enough about it and these things that, that often don't come to light until years down the track. They're coming to light now because we're doing such a good job of monitoring it. That's right. And by the way, these, these kids are getting treated with non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, things like ibuprofen and steroids to just suppress the inflammation. And as I say, there's a study published in the journal Pediatrics in the last day or two, and, they, um, you know, and most of these kids were discharged within a few days. So it's not, it's not a great thing to think that you're going to get it, but it's rare and, uh, and treatable. Just to close the loop on it, our Therapeutic Goods Administration says that to the 6th of June at least, one case of myocarditis following vaccination has been reported to the TGA and that there's no indication at present that this case is due to the vaccine, but they're collaborating with international medicine regulators on the issue. And so to questions, Norman, and this person's saying, I'm under 50 and I've had Astra as my first shot. If I get the chance of a Pfizer shot before my second, should I take it up or just get my second Astra shot? According to current recommendations, you really just got to play safe and get Astra as your second shot. I think that what inevitably will happen towards the end of the year is that booster shots with Pfizer, Moderna or uh, Novavax will come into play, particularly to boost your resistance to variants. But at the moment, the recommendation is to go for the second dose of Astra. The data are just not absolutely nailed yet. This is safe. I think you just hang in there, get the second dose of Astra, and then wait till the end of the year. Almost certainly is going to be safe and almost certainly is going to be pretty effective. So let's just hang in there, get covered and see what happens towards the end of the year. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today, but keep sending your questions in to abc.net.au slash coronacast. Because tomorrow is Quick Fire Friday. That it is. We'll see you then.